You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So we're going to take a little bit of a break from our little series because that's what I uh, started enjoying doing because I realized that after a while, doing something for a very long time becomes not fun, and this podcast is only alive because I find it fun. And especially in the off season, I have to be very careful to make sure that I'm still having fun because if I ain't happy... Nobody's happy. Meaning I meaning I won't do the podcast anymore. So plus I don't want you guys to get bored either. Because if nobody's listening, then I'm not happy and then then uh, you know kinda kinda the same result, I guess. But it's also the off season and I feel like not dedicating some time to free agency and not dedicating time as in a full episode to the draft is kind of doing a disservice. You know, once a week while we're going through this, we gotta at least just you know, do an assessment, do an audit, whatever you want to call it, to just kind of see where we're at and, and what's going on. So today I got a question and it grinds in my gears, so we're going to cover that. One of the questions did pertain to the draft, and I thought, you know what, that would be a really good segue to just start talking about the draft. And I would definitely encourage any and all questions about the draft because there's just so much. Sometimes I'm not even sure the best way to go about it. Because I literally could do a daily podcast about the draft if I decided to, you know, dedicate my energies to that. Because there's just so much. I mean, again, I've, I've got nearly 500 prospects. There are so many things you can do. So it's kind of hard. And I think because most fans are, you know, first round oriented, that's where I spend most of my time without trying to get super boring. Like, and then there's another running back that maybe will get drafted. Probably not. His name is Jimmy Thomason. He's not very good, but, you know, here's his life story. But anyways, we're going to run through some draft stuff. Uh, again, any questions or comments, please be sure to shoot them in. We're going to jump straight in, but the phone number, 608-501-0718, um, Also, NFLBigBoard.com. I do have another update coming relatively soon. I've been uh, doing it little by little. Um... Also been filling in a lot of the holes for the prospects as far as their, it's kind of thinning out a little bit as far as their uh, scouting reports, their news links, their film links, and all that kind of stuff. So I've just been trying to go through and, and fill in some of the gaps there. But uh, there's also a few updates, so I'm going to give that a little bit more time. But I'm also trying to do a mock draft, so I need that to be as updated as possible. My next mock draft, for those interested, by the way, actually I'm not sure because in the, there is a, uh, a Facebook group also, NFL Mock Draft is the name of it, but it's a Facebook group for my Mock Draft YouTube channel, which is Pack Daddy NFL, for those that want to check that out. I do a lot of stuff, man. I do a lot of stuff. But anyways, they did like a two-round mock draft, so I might be doing that next. I don't know. But point is, my next mock is going to be um, quarterback heavy because there's some rumors that that might kind of pop off. As much as that might be ridiculous... Um, it seems as though, kind of like what usually happens, there are some teams that really need quarterbacks, and when that's the case, and they have to compete with one another, and you got guys sitting at 5 and 8 and 12 and 13, well, not 12, but whatever, 13 there is, I know. Usually that culminates in overpaying, trading up, all that kind of stuff, so I'm going to play with that a little bit and see what the result will be. And I think we're talking about, like, three quarterbacks in the top 10. So, basically, it's a best-case scenario mock. But anyways, I want to start off with the uh, grinds my gears because it is not draft related and it would be um, a little weird to do draft and then this and then get back to the draft. So we'll do what makes sense. We'll jump into the grinds my gears and then we'll just uh, truck it along. All right, Ryan. Matt, a loyal listener. And I got another grinds my gears here. Um, so I'm sitting here thinking, I'm listening to your podcast and I'm just kind of going over the Super Bowl again in my head. And it was boring. You know, we'll call it what it is. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of um, people saying it was boring, and then there's some other uh, parties that say, 
oh, it was this beautiful chess match, and uh, it was a great back and forth. The defense was played out of their minds. Um, it was boring, and there's no other way around that. But I just I got to say this, and I need you to, to check me on this, if you will. The Packers – the Packers could could have scored more than three points in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Am I wrong? Please tell me. And again, I got something else. The Packers in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots could have scored more than 13 points. And it grinds my gears to no end that the Rams went into this Super Bowl and just embarrassed themselves when a team like the Seahawks and even the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Saints and, and us and the Packers could have scored more than three and more than 13 points. I mean, we did it in the regular season. I, I, I believe so. I believe that we scored more than 13 off the top of my head. God, it grinds my gears, man. Am I wrong? Do you think that we could have scored more than three? And do you think that we could have scored more than 13? Let me know, Ryan, because I'm going insane thinking about this. Thanks again. All right, Matt. Well, first of all, you said that you wanted me to check you. So I guess we'll start off there with just sort of my thoughts on generally what you said. It's, it's obviously possible just about any team on any day could have, should have, would have put up more points. However... I think if it was the Eagles that had played that game and not scored a lot, the immediate gut reaction would have been, it would have been nice if it was the Rams in there because they had the better offense. We know the Rams would have scored more points. I mean, the the Rams had one of the most potent offenses in the NFL. Rams, Saints, Chiefs. That's basically it. I guess what I'm driving at is that we got to give the Patriots more credit as much as we don't want to. The reason everybody hates Sean McVay and wants to dump on him, oh, I guess he's not that good of a coach. The reason everybody wants to dump on Goff, and I'm a little bit more on that train than the McVay train, but the reason everybody wants to do it is because nobody wants to give credit to the Patriots, which is where the credit is due. Keeping the Rams to this point total in this big of a game with a highly emotional, highly motivated team is incredible. It's it's basically my understanding. And and listen, the the problem is we can't play this game of what if because this was a specifically crafted game plan for the Rams. They would not have used this game plan if it was the Packers. They wouldn't have done it if it was the Saints. They wouldn't have done it if it was any other team. They would have had a different plan, and the question is would the plan have worked at all, much less as effectively, which is a completely impossible question to answer. Um, but how it seems to me is what of, as far as what they did, first of all, some things are very, very basic, but sometimes they fly right over our heads, at least mine, not being a coach. One of the things I had said, kind of break it down this game, is the Patriots do have pretty good guys off the edge, but the Rams have some pretty good tackles. Therefore, kind of cancels themselves out. And then the interior, not quite as good. The Rams interior, you know, so it, it's just kind of, it's, it's a stalemate kind of thing. Okay, but what if the Patriots run stunts and twists? In other words, what if the Patriots bring their talented outside guys to the inside, and then they have their talent. And by the way, the, the guys that they have are pretty rotational. They can These defensive ends are big enough and strong enough and talented enough to come to the inside, especially if you're running a stunt. Suddenly you have very, very talented guys on the outside that are going up against very untalented guys on the inside. That was their plan. They did it over and over and over again. I think three of the four sacks came off of stunts. Meaning it didn't come when an edge guy came off the edge. It came when an edge guy went up against a guard or a center and blew right past him. So that was one facet of a plan that just worked, and the Rams could not fix it. They didn't know what to do. Now, the other aspect, as I understand it, is what the Patriots actually wanted was to put the ball in Jared Goff's hand. In other words, they're going to try to take away every single thing to force Jared Goff to play the game because they saw him as the weak spot. Now, that's not saying that he's necessarily a weak quarterback, but they knew if they could force him to play a certain way. In other words, if they were able to control enough aspects of this game, in other words, control the run and then, you know, 
take away certain aspects of what he does best in the passing game and force him to try to make other throws, namely force him to throw down the field as we bring pressure, basically that was the plan and it worked from start to finish and the Rams couldn't get out of it. They were able to get pressure, they were able to get the golf, and they were able to force him to try to throw the ball in a way that he wasn't able to throw the ball, either because he's not very good at it to begin with and or he's not very good when pressure's there. It doesn't matter what the answer to that question is because they were able to get pressure. They brought pressure all day, and it got home more often than not. Now, you can maybe blame McVay for that. I don't know, but my impression was, at least based on his sideline reaction, was frustration with Goff. In other words, what in the world are you doing? There were guys, oh, and we saw it, the, the whole game, I'm just screaming, why are you throwing the ball so late? There was so many, the touchdown, the talk about the safety that came all the way across the field, and yeah, it's a great play. If that ball just got there, nobody's breaking that up. The fact of the matter is he got all the way to the end zone, turned around, and then the ball got thrown. Well, yeah, if, if his safety, who's clear across the other side of the field, gets on his horse as the ball's thrown, he can get there in time. If that ball was thrown to meet him in the end zone, nobody's getting there. There were a lot of other passes, same thing. So I, I tend to think Jared Goff was not playing very well. I think he was frustrated. I think the pressure was there, and I just think he was off, and that was all due to the Patriots. The, the fact of the matter is, and I'm not a fan of saying this, but I'm going to have to, the Patriots are just better at this than everybody. Their, their ability to know and diagnose what you do and come up with a plan on how to manipulate you is just next level. And, and the fact that they can do things that apparently can't even be replicated. And if this was any other team, I would have said the Rams just got exposed. But I don't think so. Because the Patriots do this over and over. Look what they did for two games in a row. To get into the Super Bowl and then to win the Super Bowl was the exact same thing. Edelman on a slant. If it's that easy, why doesn't every team just do that every single time? And if there's certain things that they did to manipulate it to make sure that that works, certain route combinations, this, that, or the other thing, to make sure that this guy's open, why don't 32 teams run the exact same thing over and over again? You know why? Because I, because I don't. I'm, I'm actually asking you, do you know why? I don't know why, and you don't know why, and none of the other coaches know why, because nobody else can replicate this. It's just next level, and the fact of the matter is we just have to accept that. Accept that as much as the Rams should have, could have, would have done better, the Patriots are a better football team. They're better than the Rams. They're better than the Packers. They're better than the Seahawks and the Saints, and they're better than everybody. And I'm not talking about talent. They don't have more talent. That's exactly part of the problem. They don't have the most talented quarterback. He's very good, but he's not the best. They don't have the best running backs. They don't have the best offensive line. They don't definitely don't have the best wide receivers. It's, it's a mediocre at best group of wide receivers. They don't have the best anything. Even Gronkowski wasn't even the, the top tight end this year. I don't know if he was even top 10. It doesn't matter. Cere it reminds me of something that my dad told me when I was younger. I don't, I don't remember. I don't know why this sticks with me so much, but it, it just does, and it applies to a lot of things. I, I was young, and I was learning about, I guess, animals. I don't know. But I pointed out to my dad that we are one of the, we are one of the weakest animals of anyone. Like, everything can just trying to think of good language to use, but just dominate us, like in a straight-up fight. It doesn't matter what. A monkey, like a little tiny monkey, would just wreck my day. Those things are so scrawny, but one punch from one of those monkeys that swings on branches all day long would knock me out for a week. Lions and bears and just every kind of animal, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, they're meaner, everything. And he just looked at me without even batting an eye. He's like, no, they're not. I said, what do you mean they're not? He said, human beings are the strongest animals anywhere. He said, it's not even close. Well, what are you talking about? He said, our strength is our mind. It's why they're in zoos and we're not. Everywhere we go, we dominate animals. They don't dominate us. Our strength is our mind. That's the Patriots. You got all these other teams and they're, they're, they're this high flying and they're, they got the best wide receivers and the best quarterbacks and the best scheme and coordinator and coaches and all this stuff. Andy Reid, oh, he's so good. He gets dominated by the Patriots over and over again. Andy Reid has a better quarterback. He has better scheme. He has better wide receivers. He has a better offensive line. He has a better running backs. Doesn't matter. And we try to oversimplify it. Oh, look how good the Patriots defense is. It's not that good. 
Their linebackers aren't very good. They got like one decent safety, a couple good cornerbacks, but there have been, been plenty of years they don't have any good quarterbacks. Defensive line is mediocre. Yeah, they've got they got a couple guys on the defensive line that are pretty good, mostly just against the run, but, you know, decent. Fairly good pass. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. It's nonsense. They don't have the Legion of Boom Seahawks. And even if they were really good this year, they've, they've so many years in the past that they're just, they're not as good. Okay, top 10, fine. So why don't the top 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 teams, why don't they win Super Bowls every year? The Seahawks had a better defense, as good or better of a quarterback. They had as good a wide receivers as anybody. It's just, why didn't they win more Super Bowls? Why weren't they a dynasty? Packers had better offenses. We didn't do it. We're all just trying to come up with excuses, and the fact of the matter is they're just better. That's all there is to it. They're, they're smarter than everybody else, and it's, they're just on another level. Bears had the best defense in the NFL. Why didn't they get further? What about the Texans? What about the Eagles? I mean, the, the Saints had one of the best offenses in the NFL, maybe the best, and they also had one of the best defenses. What about the Vikings? What happened to them? What about the Jaguars? They got a good defense. Broncos have a good defense. It just it, It's not about that. It's never been about that. I've said that year after year after year. I, I keep going back to that one year I was laughing hysterically because I couldn't name, nobody could name one wide receiver on the Patriots. There was one guy I just kind of liked because he seemed like he was kind of good, except he wasn't very good, but it was just like funny to find like one person on the team that was somewhat decent. They dominated that year. I don't know if they won a Super Bowl, but they just dominated. And I remember laughing, just thinking, well, I guess it's over. They got nobody left. I think Gronk was hurt. They didn't have tight ends. They had a bunch of mishmash garbage wide receivers. They had nobody on the team. They dominated. Their strength is their mind. They're smarter than you. They'll find a way to take their subpar talent and smash your dominant team. That's the bottom line. So no, I don't believe that while we would have scored more, we would have won the Super Bowl. No, we wouldn't. I mean, if, if the frustration is somebody else could have beat the Patriots, yeah, maybe, probably, could have been. I don't know. I mean, the Patriots do lose some games sometimes. It does happen. But if your frustration is we could have won the Super Bowl, I mean, you, you got to just relax. Packers were garbage. The Packers didn't belong in the playoffs. They would have got dominated in the playoffs. The Bears would have beat them in the playoffs. The Eagles would have beat them in the playoffs. The Saints would have beat them in the playoffs. The Rams would have beat them in the playoffs. The Patriots would have beat them in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, it's just it's just... Just let that one go right out the window. I'm more focused on can we beat these teams in 2019. I have no concern about what we could have done in 2018. 2018 was garbage. Packers weren't even a team in 2018. That I mean, it, and again, it's that's the other side of it. There, there's the other element. It, we we all focus on talent all the time. I focus too much on talent. There's there's more to it than talent. The Rams had some talent, but it's it it wasn't you know when they're at their best. It's not about the talent. It's about the team focus, it's about the game plan, it's about the scheme, it's about all the other, the other, you know, auxiliary aspects. The Patriots do not win because they have more talent. Plain and simple. And it's why we have to start focusing on other aspects. It's why we can't get so caught up in, in free agency type stuff, because we, we keep focusing on, this person is talented, I need them. And if we just plug in talent, we'll be better. And then if we have more talent, we'll win the Super Bowl. That's not true. I don't know that that's ever been true. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating. And it's upsetting that, you know, seemingly the Rams blew it. Maybe if they coulda, woulda, shoulda. But, again, I, I think the credit is just due to the Patriots. At this point, after all these rings, even with the cheating, and, yes, there is verifiable cheating, Spygate was real and it's cheating. Even with it, it's, it's impressive. And at, at some point, and, 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 you know, hopefully by now, we're all just looking at this saying, we just got to ride this out. As long as it's Brady and Belichick, there's no reason not to assume that that's going to be the team to beat. It just is. I mean, since 2000, for crying out loud, it's been 20 years. Do we get it yet? Are we still trying to figure out why they're not that good? Are we still, after 20 years, trying to prove they're not a good football team? And it's not even a football team because a team is comprised of, you know, 53 people plus a bunch of coaches and 99% of them aren't the same as they were since 2000. What are there, maybe five guys that have stayed the entire time, if that? Talking about guys behind the scenes or whatever that are working on breaking down tape, this, that, or the other. But again, it doesn't matter. As long as it's Brady and Bill Belichick, they're going to find a way. 
as Brady's talent diminishes, and it is. I don't think he played particularly well in the Super Bowl. I don't think he played well um, against the Chiefs. I, I didn't see anything that was overly impressive. But the fact of the matter is, with limited talent and a limited playbook because of, of Tom Brady, we still can't figure it out. We still can't find a way. They, they had one play. They basically had one play, and they won the Super Bowl with that one play. The slant to Edelman was their one play, and they won a Super Bowl. So congratulations. But that's it. You know, it, it, again, there's no reason to go crazy over it. We don't know what would have happened if it was another team. I'm not going to look at this and just say, well, the Rams just completely blew it. No, I think the Patriots shut them down, and that's really, really impressive. I mean, look what, look what they did to the Chiefs just, just a w- two weeks prior. They just find a way, man. It, it doesn't matter. However it is you want to play, they'll play with you. They'll go toe-to-toe with you, and they'll, they'll knock you out. It's very unfortunate. We're all very tired of it. It's just, at this point, it's not even, it's not even fun, man. You know, I, there will never be a coach in higher regard. There will never be a quarterback in higher regard. There will never be a dynasty in higher regard, ever. That's why after they won the Super Bowl, I was like, I, that, I'm not even really mad because it doesn't add anything anymore. You know, it's like a, if, if a person is 600 pounds and they gain 20 pounds as opposed to like a 180-pound person gaining 20 pounds, it makes a big difference. All right, 600-pound person gains 20 pounds as a percentage. I don't know. It's not that much. It just doesn't add very much. All right, if you're 180 and after Christmas you gain 20 pounds, it's like, dude, what did you do? I, I don't know. I still got food on the brain. I don't know. As well as gaining weight after that Super Bowl. My goodness. Still working my way back down. I'm not all the way back from those five pounds I gained, but uh, getting there. It'll take me a week to recover from one day of binge eating on the Super Bowl. That's all right. There's nothing wrong with mistakes, man. Just gotta, just gotta, you know, acknowledge it, take responsibility, and then fix it. It's not so bad. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Alrighty, let's uh, let's get moving on to the next question. So, this is a text message, so I'm going to have to try to read it to you. I know sometimes that's a struggle, but we'll get through this together. But it says, uh, I saw a mock draft that took Elijah Holyfield with the 30th pick. I know nothing about the kid, but is this a good pick? I think if Deontay Thompson is available, the Packers have to take him over a running back, right? there's there's a lot of different ways to come at this question because it kind of depends on our frame of reference, I guess. So I'll address the question and then we'll talk about Elijah Holyfield a little bit. First of all, my go-to reference or resource is NFL Big Board. Again, if you don't know what that is, I've got, I don't even know how many are active. Let's just call it 40 big boards from across the, the web. I aggregate all of that together and come out with a consensus big board. As of right now, I have Elijah Holyfield at 110. So we're talking roughly a fourth-round draft pick. Now, that's not to say he's not going to move up. I actually, I think I did see that mock as well. Who was that? Daniel Jeremiah, maybe? I like what he did. If it was him, I don't remember. But I, I, I like Daniel Jeremiah and some of these guys because they're always off the wall, right? You, you start to see certain people do stuff. And it's almost identical to everybody else's top 32, top 50, but with a couple tweaks. I don't really respect that as much. It's possible, but I think a lot of people use what they see as sort of their frame of reference. 
And I think a lot of people that actually do this for real don't care what people have been saying for three months. They come out with a list, and if, if you think Elijah Holyfield is like a top 32 guy, then you put him in your top 32. So I don't personally have a lot... Um, to, I, I don't have my own private big board, so I don't know where to put him. Now, to the point about uh, Deontay Thompson, which is still on the same point, but, you know, again, i got to take this piece by piece because there's kind of a lot in those couple sentences. As of right now, and he is falling a little bit, and he's, you know, a lot of people less and less are showing him respect, but I have him at 12. So on a very basic level, my answer to the question is yes, because I'm not looking at it as a positional need thing. In other words, it depends what you mean by the question, we have to take Deontay Thompson if he's available, right? I lean toward yes for a lot of reasons. First of all, um, I think Deontay Thompson is ultimately a better player, not because of my subjective thoughts or my own personal thoughts, but because even if Deontay Thompson continues to slide and Elijah Holyfield continues to rise, I still think at best you're looking at a, a early second round Deontay Thompson and maybe a late second round Elijah Holyfield. I don't really know. And the fact of the matter is one of the top running backs in this draft class, a late first, early second round guy is being compared to Connor. Um, what is his name? James Connor. James Con- I mean, I like James Conner. I liked him coming out, but he was picked in like the fourth or fifth round, I think. So it's just, it's not a strong class. And, I, you know, you listen to people talk about it, and one of the guys that's really flying up the boards is a running back out of Alabama, Joshua Jacobs. Josh Jacobs, but I write him up as Joshua. And the, the thought is that he's kind of more versatile and stuff, but it, it's kind of, even when you hear people talk about him, it's like, well, if there was anybody that was sort of an Alvin Kamara... It would probably be Joshua Jacobs, but he's, I mean, he's no Alvin Kamara. So it's just, it's just a weak class, and Elijah Holyfield is not even a top guy in that class. Specifically, again, on my board, he is the 11th best running back. So, yeah, I tend to think that. Now, here's the other part of the question. I am a firm believer that the Packers will take the best available. I listened to a couple minutes of Bukowski's thing this morning, and I'm not necessarily on the same page as him with the idea that the Packers aren't going to take a guard early because they never do. I think the Packers generally are going to stick to the philosophy that they're going to take the best player available. I don't think that's just all fake. I've, I've tried to explain this as best as I possibly can. There, there are several options. First of all, you have tiers, so it's possible. If you are in a tier right now that has a guard and a safety that you're going to take the safety because it's the bigger need, and they're both in the same tier, so you get to pick one. So you pick the bigger need. Therefore, you tend to see teams pick needs, even when they say they don't pick needs, and you tend to see different philosophies like that, where maybe they don't take a lot of guards early, because when they're on a tier that has a guard and another um, position, they tend to realize that, well, we can get guards a little bit later. My issue with that specifically, is first of all, I can't say it definitively. If, if they're, the top guy on the board is a guard, especially in a year like this where guard is one of our biggest needs, the idea that we're not going to take him and we're going to take a less talented player than the most talented player, which is a guard, which is a position of need, I think is kind of silly. At best, the Packers look to trade out of that spot and get something else, but there's no reason to pass. Why would you pass? If Jonah Williams is available at 12 and you think that he is by far the best player in this draft and you think he could be an elite guard do you think the Packers are going to leave that spot or take a less talented player like Ja'Kai Polite because well we just want an edge rusher more than we want a guard I don't think they would do that let me give you another example of what I'm talking about well okay another point and then I'll give you an example another point to make about you know again let's keep in mind as we all know, correlation does not necessarily mean causation. There are a lot of positions the Packers don't take in the first round, or any round for that matter. Guards are not usually prevalent in the first round. That We also don't take a lot of wide receivers in the first round. We don't take a lot of running backs in the first round. We don't take a lot of guards. We don't take a lot of quarterbacks. We don't take a lot of tight ends. We don't take a lot of linebackers. I mean, there's, there's quite a few positions that we don't typically take, and it's not really a big coincidence that these are not positions that are usually prevalent in the first round, right? Tight ends that are really talented. Usually, where do you find them? Usually, there's one or two maybe that are late first. Guards, usually not a ton. 
I can't remember the last time I was watching the draft and I was thinking, oh man, there's a really good guard available. I wonder if the Packers are going to take him, and then they didn't, and it was surprising. That just doesn't happen because there's not a lot of them. There's not a lot of talented inside linebackers. I think the last time that happened, it was it was a long time ago. It might have been the year we took Kenny Clark, I'm not sure. But that was a, a year where we really needed inside linebackers, and there were guys that were available that were considered very talented. The Packers didn't take them. You could look at it that way, but you could also look at the fact that none of those guys are very good, and maybe they just did a better job of scouting and realized that Kenny Clark is a better football player than any of these garbage linebackers that are sitting here. So the reason I bring that up is because it kind of brings us back full circle to the idea that, well, we're not going to take a running back when a safety is there. Well, if Elijah Holyfield is more talented, would they take him over Deontay Thompson? I think we have several questions. If, for example, Elijah Holyfield is the only guy on this tier left, right? So you you got tiers and, and there's this final tier. There's only one guy left and it's Elijah Holyfield. I think your options are to draft Elijah Holyfield or try to trade out of that spot. I don't think it makes sense to stay there and and not take the best player available. Now, the other factor would be, there's so many layers to this. If Elijah Holyfield and Deontay Thompson are on the same tier, yes, you take uh, Deontay Thompson. I personally believe. Now, I think you can make a case that running back is a really big need that we're not addressing. And I've kind of touched on it, but the fact of the matter is... um, we have Aaron Jones, but Aaron Jones, I'm, I, we should be somewhat concerned about his injury history. Again, two years. He hasn't played. We're talking about two knee, I believe two knee surgeries, two knee injuries, at least. Maybe they weren't surgeries, but yeah, two knee. I mean, that's this is that's pretty serious. And this is a guy who hasn't actually even played all that much. They're, they're limiting his snap count. He's still getting hurt. So if we can't count on him, we have not only a thin group, you know, I don't know that running back isn't kind of a need for us. But in general, yes, I think safety is a bigger need. So a lot of different layers depending on how you mean and what you mean. But but let me get back to that example really quick. Again, you could say the same thing about quarterback. First of all, it's not really a need, right? With Aaron Rodgers, not super need, not not super big need for us. You could also point to the fact that well, we don't really take quarterbacks early. However, let me just remind you there were some people pounding the table when we took Kevin King that they wanted Deshaun Kaiser. In other words, if some people would have had their way, we would have drafted a quarterback in the second round. Why? Because that's the way the board fell. And despite the fact that the Packers don't have a need there, despite the fact that history says we don't take quarterbacks early, and you know, at least in years in which we don't need one, despite all of that, the Packers are going to take who they think is the best player. So there is a world in which we take Elijah Holyfield. However, on the surface, I don't necessarily like the pick because everything... Everything points to no thank you. Would I personally take Deontay Thompson over Elijah Holyfield? Yeah. Do I think Deontay Thompson is a great football player? No. I think he's more or less another HaHa Clinton Dix. That's not a knock on HaHa or anybody else. I mean, you, you can pick any number of, of Alabama safeties or, or other safeties that are pretty good, but they're not Earl Thomas. They're not true sideline-to-sideline, single-high safety type guys. They're not elite tacklers. They're not. I mean, they're just they're decent. He's Landon Collins. And by the way, Landon Collins is HaHa Clinton Dix and is Deontay Thompson. And I I don't know that Deontay Thompson could be an absolute stud, but I, I don't think there's anybody that sees him as being more talented than any of these guys coming out. Um, having watched a little bit of Elijah Holyfield, um, you know, it, it's hard to say in, in a way, and I, I don't want to get people super hyped because I just said it's not a super great running back class, and I that's not coming for me. I... I'm actually really disappointed in the level of actually watching. This is probably the least amount of film I've ever watched since I started watching Prospects. So I'm pretty upset about it, but I need to do better next year, and that's kind of my goal. Although there is still some time to start doing stuff, so whatever. Point is, though, having watched him, I, I, I do think he's somewhat of a blend between Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. I don't know if he's quite as decisive as Aaron Jones, but... I mean, he's one of those guys that he's going to wait and try to find the hole. If he finds it, he can slip through it pretty quickly. But he also is really good at if it's not there, he bounces it to the outside. And he's got some pretty sneaky speed. He gets all the way around the corner, and he's able to shoot down the field. However, he's got a little Jamal in him as well, because when he finds contact, he loves it, which you would expect from a Vander Holyfield's kid. But dude has got a lot of pop. So yeah, I like him. I think he's a good football player. I wouldn't be upset if the Packers took a running back. I know a lot of Packer fans would be furious. And, um, you know, I mean, listen, there's reason to be outraged with just about every single pick because with every pick, there's, you know, what, 10 other needs that aren't being addressed. 
but I think that just comes with the territory, and you got to realize that's the situation. And by the end of the draft, there will be needs that were never addressed. That's going to happen because there aren't enough draft picks. There just aren't, unless you want to count seventh-round picks as, as being just locks, like, oh, yeah, that's for sure going to be fixing our problems. right? First, second, third round, maybe. After that, it's like, eh, I don't know. And even that, first round, second round, third round, they could all be busts. You're, you're swinging at as many times as you can to hope to find, what, three good starters, four good starters? It's a tough racket, man. But, yeah, I would, I would encourage you to go check them out. I, I, in the very limited amount of time that I've watched him, and no, I don't have any frame of reference as far as how much I like him more than anybody else because I really have not watched hardly any running backs. That was one of the first things I did last year was watch the running back crop. But, um, but no, I, I like him. He's got patience. He's got burst. He's got a decent amount of speed. He's got a ton of pop. So whatever. But in general, yes, I, I do tend to, I know maybe I overanalyzed it, but that's just how I am. I can't, I'm, I'm very cautious about answering things incorrectly and when there's a question that seems straightforward in my mind it's vague and that freaks me out so i gotta overanalyze and over explain my thoughts on stuff but in general yeah if, if you're just asking me straight up at pick 30 deontay thompson and elijah holyfield are there it's not even a question i mean it's like on draft day if, if if deontay thompson's a top guy on my board and somebody's like what do you think are they going to take deontay thompson or elijah holyfield i'm probably going to look at you really weird like why why would elijah holyfield even pop into your head why is that a thought for you right now? Such a random thing to even say. So yes, to answer your question, Deontay Thompson, I think, is a bigger need. I think he's a better player. Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so now I, I just kind of want to spend a few minutes um, talking about the draft in general. There has been some talk, and I, I guess, again, I still want to focus on the first round because that's where everybody's head is at. And maybe as we do this a little bit more, I'll, I'll try to even just remember what I've already said so I'm not repeating myself, but then try to go a little bit deeper. Uh, maybe try to revisit some of our needs because, you know, as time goes on, I think maybe those things need to be reassessed a little bit. But in terms of quarterbacks, and there is some talk about quarterbacks being a thing, there's so many factors. Uh, I think there's a lot of talk about Drew Locke potentially being a, a really good candidate. He's specifically being tied to the Denver Broncos. Denver picks at 10, and there's always the opportunity there for a team to move up. Um, as far as teams that, that need quarterbacks that could either move up or whatever, you got the New York Giants at six. I think that would be, I, for me personally, and I've heard people say it, I, I think Haskins would make more sense than anybody. And yes, Kyler Murray, I don't know, man. I, I'm just, I'm not buying it. I didn't see it. I've only watched one of, I, I saw his game against Alabama and I thought he looked like garbage. He reminded me of, of watching Lamar Jackson in the playoffs. I mean, he, he couldn't complete a pass. His passes were horrible. He looked like he was always just trying to run, and that's just all he wanted to do. And in general, those guys don't usually do well in the NFL. I don't know why we can't get that through our heads, but um, guys that just like to run and do a really good job running, they, I mean, they just don't do a really good job. I don't know what else to say. So, I don't know, maybe i got to watch some other film of his. I probably won't because I don't really care. But I just had to see what all the hype was about. A lot of people saying he's the best. I watched Haskins. I liked Haskins. I watched Murray. I did not like Murray at all. There's also a really good chance that he's not playing in the NFL, as, though, as much as I said that, that none of this makes any sense. Right? If you wanted to go play baseball, you should have gone and played baseball. Why did you go back to college? And why are you stringing him along? And, and people are saying, well, maybe it's a leverage play. He's trying to get more money from the A's. He's doing ridiculously horrible interviews. But the fact of the matter is he has until, I think it's two weeks from today. I think it's the 21st. Today is the 7th. Spring training begins in two weeks. Now, I would love for him to be uh, in the draft because he'll probably get drafted before the Green Bay Packers pick, which would be great. But I'm just starting to think that's just not going to happen. Um, but anyways, the, the reason I like Haskins is people are knocking him because, well, he doesn't really drive the ball down the field very well. He's just dinking and dunking. Dude, have you watched the NFL the last five years? Have you watched the Patriots? That's all anybody's doing anymore. I mean, look at what Matt Nagy and a lot of these new offensive systems are. It's all at or near or behind the line of scrimmage stuff. 
It's all short slants and this and that, and, and occasionally, yeah, take a shot. And he has, and he does, and he's not bad at it. It's not his main thing, but that's great. Now, as for the Giants, a lot of people are like, oh, if he had Haskins, like, there'd be so much crazy. And we just want, I don't want super complex for the Giants. Get a guy that can just distribute the ball to the talented guys they have around. I think Haskins makes a lot of sense for the Giants at six, if nobody leapfrogs them. You got the Jacksonville Jaguars, very much need and want a quarterback. Now, they could be in play for a free agent. There's some talk about that kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's going to be a tough sell because their salary cap situation is not too great. But the Jacksonville Jaguars, you got the Denver Broncos at 10. You have the Miami Dolphins, who apparently now Haskins does not have a huge amount of interest. There are a lot of teams who just took him straight off the board, like, nah, I just, I don't want this guy. Which kind of makes sense. Because if you're this undecisive, this late, how much am I going to trust that you're going to be all in on football? Even if you say, I'm all in, I'm doing football, here we go. I just, it's like, dude, you're going to be looking over your shoulder at baseball the rest of your life. I'm just, I'm just not interested, and, and you seem like you've got a bad attitude. The, the interview thing is, I don't know if it's a deal breaker, but it's like, what are you doing? If you didn't see it, he basically went on, uh, I don't remember which show, Dan Patrick or something. But the guy was asking him pretty straightforward questions, and it's the stuff that he's been asked over and over and over again. So, you going to spring training? And he, sometimes he just said, I don't know. Sometimes he just shrugged his shoulders and didn't say anything. It got so bad to the point he started asking his dad. His dad says no comment and is just laughing like this is so funny. It's not funny. Your kid's looking like a, a dope. And then he had the gall to say, oh, I'm, I think I'm getting pretty good at answering these questions. <laughs> Dude, you're not coming off very bright right now. That's all I can say. But the Miami Dolphins supposedly are one of the few teams interested in him. If they take him at 13, that's unfortunate. Hopefully they try to jump up, maybe leapfrog the you know Denver Broncos. Maybe they try to push past the, the Jaguars or the Giants or whatever. Point is, though, there is a possibility. I'm going to say right now I don't think it's going to happen, but there's a possibility and a hope in my heart that there's three quarterbacks taken before the Green Bay Packers go. Now, I'll give you a little sneak peek um, in my mock, as much as it also seems unlikely. Essentially, with the Giants and the Jaguars sitting at six and seven, the need to secure the guy that you want so that the other team doesn't can kind of push the value up to the point where what I did is I had them trading with the Arizona Cardinals for the first overall pick. Part of that is is for the reason I just explained. Part of it is because I hate Arizona at number one. Part of it is because I absolutely like Joey or Nick Bosa going to San Francisco at two. So everything just kind of came together in the universe. It perfectly aligned for me. My chi was centered and all that stuff. It was awesome. But in that event, and and let's just run through it really quick, we'll just come up with a few hypotheticals just to kind of see who maybe is available for us. So we got Haskins going at number one, Nick Bosa's going to be gone at number two. So that's one of the guys that we want that's off the board. Now, currently on NFL Big Board, if you go there, Josh Allen is number four. But uh, with the new update, as it continues to change right now, technically, even though I haven't updated the site, Josh Allen did slide up to number three. So it's pretty safe to assume he's gone. And also, if you haven't noticed, I'm, I'm assuming we aren't trading up. I'm, I'm not going to play that game because then it's just even more variables. But Quinn and Williams being number two is also going to very likely be gone. So the, the top guys are Nick Bosa and Quinn and Williams. These are the two sort of can't-miss elite prospects in my mind. I'm not putting Josh Allen quite in that category, although I am very impressed with him. I think as far as a second tier in my mind, you're looking at guys like Ed Oliver, who very serious question marks about Ed Oliver. Um, but you know, there's no question the athleticism, Josh Allen, um, I would probably put Devin White there and I would put Jeffrey Simmons there. Now this is not having watched Jonah Williams or Byron Murphy or any of these other guys, but, uh, I don't, I don't want to put Cleland Furl in there. Now, something else to keep in mind, it was brought, a lot of the problems with Ed Oliver are his size. And furthermore, a lot of people are saying that Ed Oliver is probably not going to a 3-4 defense because even though he's undersized for even a 4-3 defense, it makes more sense because, you know, 3-4, you've got more of the two-gap responsibility. And so you're not going to find a whole lot of guys that are like 270 pounds like Ed Oliver. So for those reasons, I'm going to go ahead and take him off, even though I would like him, and I do think he could potentially play. There's there's also question marks not just about his size, but the production was relatively low. The guy only was in and around five sacks, which when we're talking about a guy that plays for Houston, meaning he's not going up against huge competition, 
a guy that is supposedly as freakish as he is to only pull out about five sacks is just not super impressive. So Nick Bosa, Quinnen Williams, and Josh Allen, I think, are off the board. Ed Oliver, I'm going to take off our board. The next several guys I'm looking at are Cleland Furl. I think it's possible he's there, although there are other teams that need edge rush talent, so it's it's sort of not for sure. The only reason I think he makes it is if he continues to slide, which he's not really sliding right now, but I, I just think other people are pushing ahead of him a little bit. Cleland Furl, if anything, kind of reminds me of a Nick Perry type. He's very, very big. He's very, very thick. I think he's going to do a great job setting the edge. Had some relatively good production as far as sacks, but I just I don't necessarily see him as being a super great prospect. He could pan out great, but I, I just I'm kind of on the fence with him. Then there's Jonah Williams, offensive tackle. A lot of people saying he's not going to be a tackle. He's better at a guard. I do think that's a possibility. I think it's a possibility to possibly replace Balaga at right tackle. I think it's a possibility to possibly play guard this year. Possibly both. I don't know. But I don't think we can rule it out as much as most Packer fans are saying, please don't take Jonah Williams. I want something cool. That's an option. Devin White at linebacker is my number seven. I think that is also an option. Um, I think at 12 is when people, most people would say you start to take a guy like Devin White. I don't, even though I have him at seven, I think most people are going to look at that and say the value of linebacker is depleted, even if he's worth, you know, talent-wise top five, six, seven, eight, whatever. You just don't really want to touch a linebacker at that value. So in other words, if you take his talent and then also factor in the value of the position, so the total value he brings to the team, I think 12 is right around that time when it starts to make a little bit of sense. Again, not our biggest need, but I think Devin White has that ability to be a difference maker. I think once we get there, there's only going to be a couple people that have that, uh, that potential upside to be really elite football players. Now, elite linebacker doesn't have nearly as much value as elite edge rusher or whatever, but still, as I've said, I would really like to get some difference makers on this team, some guys that are just studs, right? Derwin James was a guy that would have been a stud. There was very little question he was going to be a stud. Now, the value of a safety isn't the most valuable thing in the world, but there's no question he's a very valuable football player and a stud. Another guy that I really like, Jeffrey Simmons, I mentioned yesterday or I tweeted out a, or retweeted something that said, based on talent, he should be top five. I've said on this podcast, I think he has top five talent. I just really like Jeff- Jeffrey Simmons. I think he's disruptive. I think he's very big. He's very strong. Now, the big red flag with Jeffrey Simmons, apparently there is a video of him assaulting a female. Now, I've called out a lot of people on this before, and I, I don't know all the details, however supposedly, according to Jeffrey Simmons, as best as I know, essentially what had happened was his sister was getting absolutely stomped out. He went over and essentially handled the situation. I'm not saying necessarily that's right, but there's a difference between a girl getting on your nerves and you knocking her out cold and reacting violently to watching your sister getting brutally beaten up. And essentially, according to him, it was more or less sort of the idea that where I come from, you know, if, if somebody's beating up your sister or something, you step in and you'd handle it. And that's what he did. I, I don't know. For me, that's something that's more forgivable, especially since that happened kind of a long time ago. I almost want to say that was like high school. That wasn't even college. But according to the staff at Mississippi State, according to the players, he has been a model citizen. He has been a role model. He has been all these different things. He reacted violently to a situation in which he was essentially being a big brother, right? He was being the good guy. He was being the hero. Now, should you ever hit another female? No, you probably just pull her off, say, get out of here and and pick up. But again, I at least can relate to that a little bit. You see somebody that you care about, that you love getting beat up, and you want to step in and be the hero. So that is going to be a big red flag. We'll see if more details come out on that. That's his side of the story. Maybe it's nonsense. Maybe he just went up and started beating on somebody. I, I never saw the video, so I don't know how bad it is. I don't know anything. All I know is I heard that he had hit a female and that the situation was essentially that this female was kind of brutally beating up his sister and then he did something to the girl that was beating up his sister. Now, if we just set that to the side, if Jeffrey Simmons falls and we take him, at 12, which would be a little surprising because the Packers are hypersensitive to character concerns, maybe more so than other teams. But if, if you know, the, at the end of the day, you just have to make a decision. Is he a bad person or not? And if he is, we're not going to draft him. If we think he's not and there are no character concerns, concerns in our opinion, then he's draftable. 
If we take Jeffrey Simmons at 12, it, he's another guy that could be an elite prospect. And as far as defensive tackles, because I think some Packer fans are saying that's not going to be a thing, let's not forget in free agency we spent a lot of money to bring Muhammad Wilkerson here when we already had um, Kenny Clark and we already had Mike Daniels. So I don't really understand the idea that we wouldn't take a defensive tackle because obviously our defensive coordinator really likes having very talented defensive tackles to where we already had two and decided to spend a large portion of our remaining salary cap on a third talented defensive tackle. There's no doubt in my mind if they felt that Jeffrey Simmons was the most talented person that they would take him. And yes, I would absolutely encourage you to go look at some film on Jeffrey Simmons. He's not flawless. He's not, you know, whatever, but very, very disruptive. Not a huge amount of sack totals but ridiculous amounts of tackles, kind of lives behind the line of scrimmage, kind of blows up the guy in front of him, just just bigger and stronger than everybody, basically. So that's another pick where, and this happens pretty frequently, most people would be upset, I would not be upset. The problem at this point for me, and this is the problem, because I, as I'm doing my mock draft, and it's not official, I'm just kind of just doing my first, like, once over. As I got to this point, there's a lot of players that don't necessarily meet the need. So I think Cleveland Furl is gone and I have to choose between, you know, Jeffrey Simmons, Devin White, a bunch of corners, and then you got Rashawn Gary, who most people see as a pass rusher. I have him listed as a defensive tackle because I think that's what he's better at. And I don't really want him on the team. And then at twelve, Deontay Thompson free safety. Ja'Kai Palette I have at thirteen. I think he's a little bit overhyped by Packers fans. Not that I would be upset if we took him. But I don't think he's on the same level as Jeffrey Simmons. I don't think he's on the same level as Devin White. He's probably not on the same level as Jonah Williams. So I don't know if I would take Deontay Thompson or Ja'Kai Polite. Meaning, and, and again, all this is going to get blown up. We'll see exactly who's where uh, when the draft actually comes. But at this particular point in time, there's decisions to be made. And the good thing about it is it gives you an appreciation for what the Packers have to go through and why some of these picks aren't everybody's favorite. I have to essentially choose between defensive tackle or cornerback. Because at 9 and 10, Byron Murphy and Greedy Williams are sitting there, and that kind of raises another question. I would assume the Packers are not going to take a corner. And it, again, similarly, if, if we're talking about tiers, you take somebody else. Right, if you have Byron Murphy, Jeffrey Simmons, and Devin White all in the same tier, just either pick between Devin White or Jeffrey Simmons. If you don't like the character concerns, fine, take Devin White. If you're okay with the character concerns and you want that third defensive tackle, just take Jeffrey Simmons. But... Is there a scenario, and this will be the the final question for me that I haven't really reconciled, is there a scenario which, if the best player available is a corner, we take a corner? I've stated my concerns with our cornerbacks, and I understand it's actually very similar to wide receiver, as much as we never talk about cornerback because we feel like that's solved. Our cornerback situation is similar to our wide receiver situation in that we have a bunch of young guys, a bunch of guys that we hope can develop, but yet at the same time we have one that's good and a bunch that aren't. Right, we got Devontae that's good and a bunch of guys that aren't very good. We have Jair that's good and a bunch of other guys that aren't very good. Now, the difference would be that the draft picks were a lot higher at corner, so you're less likely to take another corner because you feel like you've invested enough. And I've already said maybe what we would want to do is start taking later round corners. If we're going to take swings, fine, but let's not keep investing first round in this. Beyond that, we have new staff, so maybe we can try to coach these guys up to be a little bit better. I mean, it's only Josh Jackson's second year. Kevin King's been hurt every year, so maybe if he can get a new coach in there and he's he's kind of almost got like a full year under his belt of, I don't know if he's been healthy for a full year, but he's been on the field for a full year, maybe he can start to turn it around. But I, I guess I can't 100% rule it out. If Byron Murphy is by far the best player on the board, if, if Greedy Williams is by far the best player on the board, if DeAndre Baker is the, by far the best player on the board, and we know definitively that th- these guys may, you know, may, w- let, me, let me put another hypothetical to you. At 12 now, so it's not super impossible that this is the case. At 12, there's a guy sitting there, let's say it's Byron Murphy, and he's number seven on our board, and he is heads and tails better than we thought Jair was going to be coming out of college. We have a a much higher grade, whole new tier, higher tier, top 10 guy. Do you take Byron Murphy? I think I do. I think I like the security of having a a cornerback that maybe could be better than Jair, so that Jair is our number two guy. Then essentially we need between, and and, and we can move on from Bashad Breeland and save a little bit of money, which I know a lot of people would be devastated. I would not. He's, He's served a purpose. Maybe he could be good. Maybe he won't. I don't know. I don't care. 
But then we have Josh Jackson and, and Kevin King, and we essentially just need one of them to kind of step up only when we're in three wide receiver sets or more because in two wide sets, it's going to be Jair Alexander and Byron Murphy sitting on the outside playing corner. If they go three or more wide, then fine. We put Jair in the slot, presumably, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. And then you get Kevin King and or Josh Jackson on the outside. And again, I, I'm not happy that we've invested so much early capital because that's early capital that isn't getting put into wide receiver, offensive line, tight end, edge rusher, defensive tackle, linebacker, safety, you name it. But I'm just trying to build a good football team, and I want the best players on this team. We have one cornerback who's promising, not elite, but he's promising, seems to be a pretty good cornerback. I think in my mind, if Byron Murphy, Greedy Williams, DeAndre Baker, one of these guys is heads and tails the best player on our board... I don't know that I need to trade out of the spot. If there's nobody here that I think is a good value at 12 other than a cornerback, I'm not going to trade back. I'm going to take the corner. Might not be super thrilled with that, but you know what? Too bad. If you're not happy with good football players on your team, especially at corner, which is pretty important, I don't know what to say. Beyond that, here's another thing to consider. 2020 is the last year of Kevin King's contract. If he doesn't perform well this year, after 2020, are we going to re-sign him or are we going to let him go? I wouldn't be surprised if he's not back after 2020. So in a couple years, we have Jair. We have Josh Jackson, who we don't know is going to be very good. Bashad's not going to be around. Kevin King's not, probably not going to be here. Maybe not going to be here. I don't know. Maybe we trade him, whatever. Where are we sitting at? We're not sitting too well. And it's also a situation where if we don't take another corner, we kind of have to re-sign Kevin King, even though he's not all that talented and he's always hurt all the time. I mean, two out of two years, the guy's been hurt. I'm just saying, things that in a, in a very small sample size, when you super zoom in, seem like bad decisions, over the longer, bigger picture, I don't know that it's the worst possible thing. So I do think that that's a possibility. It's not my top choice. But I also realize that, look, it's just not a super great, it's not a super great defense. And a big part of the reason it's not super great is because our corners are not very good. Jair was our best corner, and he was, I mean, just compared to the rest of the league, as far as number one corners go, he's kind of mediocre. Pretty middle of the pack. Beyond that, our number two and number three cornerbacks, below average. I mean, our number two compared to other number twos was below average. Our number three compared to number threes was below average. Kevin King, an early second-round guy, can't compete with other third-round cornerbacks. That's pathetic. Josh Jackson, who was considered a first-round guy, can't compete with other second-round cornerbacks. We're talking guys that were drafted in the fourth, fifth round. He couldn't compete. So, again, maybe things get better. But if the Packers take a corner, please don't freak out, I guess is all I'm saying. But otherwise, uh, very quickly kind of going through, Deontay Thompson is there, another opportunity, Ja'Kai Polite. Um, Christian Wilkins, I'm not a huge fan, but that's another option for defensive tackle. DeAndre Baker at corner. Um, getting to 17, DK Metcalf, wide receiver, another potential option. Brian Burns and Montez Sweat off the edge. I think... Um, these two are sort of polar opposites in my mind. I tend to lean toward Brian Burns, even though he's more limited in his abilities. I think the one thing he does unquestionably well is rush the passer. And I think that's what the Packers need. His his bend and his burst and his length is just incredible. He has his really long arms. He can stick in your chest. He can, he can you know, swat away your hands. He's got unbelievable bend around the edge, and that's one of the most important things for edge rushers, right? That's as far as correlation between attributes and getting after the quarterback, if you don't have bend, you're not going to get there. And I don't think Montez Sweat has it. He's got inc- Montez Sweat has incredible power in his hands, but get him to the NFL le- I know he had a lot of sacks in college, but get him to the NFL level against the NFL tackles, a guy that doesn't have good bend. And maybe he does, we just didn't see much of it. I didn't see much of it. I just worry that it's not going to translate as well. He's not going to play as well. Um, Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson are both available. Possibly, you know, we're getting into that maybe pick 30 territory. A lot of people like Hawkinson, very, very talented, definitely a possibility. If he does end up falling to 30, uh, it's it's possible. Another position that the Packers don't take early, but I also don't expect this to be... I, that's not how I, how I view these things. Well, we don't usually do it, therefore we're not going to do it. I don't think that's how that works. Uh, Cody Ford, guard at 21, if he falls to 30, is definitely an option to play guard. Nikhil Harry, another big-bodied wide receiver, another important position to get that number two spot figured out. Dexter Lawrence, I'm not a big fan of anybody from Clemson, so I'm not a huge fan of Dexter Lawrence either. Greg Little at tackle, Mac Wilson at linebacker. 
Uh, Mac Wilson, just a violent football player. I know that usually doesn't translate as well. That's not what the NFL really wants or, or what translates to being a good football player. You want fast cover guys, whatever. But I can't help it. I like Mac Wilson because he's mean and he's violent, and I appreciate that. Uh, Jawan Taylor out of Florida is flying up the boards. He jumped 19 spots and uh, is continuing to climb. As, as far as true tackles go, you know, I think he's a right tackle, but still, I don't think anyone's trying to put him into guard yet, which is surprising because that's something that everybody always wants to do. Uh, I think that's a possibility, a, a possible um, Brian Balaga replacement. I think if he goes at 12, it's a little sad. Now, here's the other thing to remember. The Packers are always taking the guy that they think is best. So as much as we might look at it and go, that was a terrible pick, why? Why was that a terrible pick? Because you scouted all these guys and know better? I understand there being some level of disappointment. You know, you want some level of excitement, that's fine. But there's always some solace in the fact that the Green Bay Packers see something special in this person. That at this particular point in time, this is the best prospect available. If a guy like Jawan Taylor goes at number 12, it's possible and also very likely the Packers see him as a top 10 player in this entire draft. Now, again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying this this is a different way of viewing things. Like, oh, why did you take Jawan Taylor? That's garbage. He's not even worth his spot. He, we took him too early. Blah. Come on, man. Have some faith. You know, I, I know, uh, you know, Mel Kuyper tells you that he's a, a 25th overall value, but I, I tend to lean toward Brian Gutekunst and his staff of people that have been scouting all this time to not only find the best of the best, but also good fits. Good fits for Lafleur's scheme, good fits for what Gutekunst wants in a football player, good character person, good fit for the locker room. He's, he's a top 10 player, not just in terms of talent, but in terms of fit of what we do. At 29, Joshua Jacobs. I think if we're going to look at a running back that falls to 30, Josh Jacobs is, is maybe an option. I think this is one of those situations where there's not a lot of good running backs, but at 30, maybe getting the best running back in this entire class possibly makes sense. I'm, again, hesitant for all the reasons that I already stated. Doesn't make a huge amount of sense, but similar to corner, it's it's definitely a question mark. And as much as you'd want to satisfy other stuff, I'm concerned about Aaron Jones and his ability to stay healthy. I'm concerned about Jamal Williams being a, a number one if Aaron Jones does go down or doesn't play because Jamal isn't very great. I like Jamal. Seems like a great person. The dancing is, is funny and awesome, but... I, I, you know, I don't know, especially on a team, and, and as was said, I think, in the article about uh, Elijah Holyfield, this is a team that's going to want to focus on running the ball, and if you're going to run the ball more, and Aaron Jones can't handle that workload, and Jamal Williams isn't good enough to handle that workload, at some point, you got to say, all right, we need a new running back. We need a guy that's talented and can handle that workload. It's not impossible. Kelvin Harmon and uh, Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown I have at 32. He's slowly creeping up the board, but that's probably part of the problem with this board is that if anything, it's delayed because people are slow to get their boards out. And then as the board changes, you know, somebody throws, let's say there's, there's rumors going around that Marquise Brown could be, Hollywood Brown could be a top 10 pick. Let's just say, well, what's going to happen on my board? Essentially, everything stays the same. One person comes out and says, okay, I'll make him 12. So I update the board and I have a 12, but that's competing against a bunch of 35s, 38s, 40s. So it's it's a little slow to come around the corner, but definitely, even though I have him at 32, Hollywood Brown is seen by a lot of people as the top wide receiver in this draft class. Is a possibility? Is he a possibility for the Packers at 12? I don't know, but you listen to some of the people talk about him. I forget who it was I was listening to. I don't know if it was an ESPN guy, maybe. I, I think it was. I think it was it was uh, not Mayock. Who's who's the other guy? Oh, McShay. I was listening to the uh, the draft podcast with Mel Kiper and, uh, and Todd McShay, and McShay said, as far as play speed, he doesn't know what he's going to run in the forty. He's probably not going to break records or whatever. But as far as play speed, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, is the fastest guy he can remember watching play football. He said, yes, he's got the deep speed. Yes, he can get open deep, but that's not. He's not a one dimensional guy. His his ability to run intermediate and short routes, his ability to get open, his his play speed is just like nobody else. It's unbelievable. So is he a possibility for the Packers at 12? I think he is. Uh, Nasir Adderley, I haven't personally watched yet, but a um, lot of, you know, that's one of those Packers Twitter things. Somebody mentioned his name, then everybody happened to fall in love with him at the exact same time. Is he any good? I don't know. Possible guy available at pick 30. Very, very unlikely he's he's there at 12, but maybe at 30 we start looking at him. Um, otherwise, you got uh, Irv Smith, tight end, possible at 30. 
other guys like A.J. Brown, you got some tackles like uh, Dalton Reisner, Yadni Kajust, uh, Draymond Jones at defensive tackle, and uh, I, I would say that's probably about it as far as where we're at. I'm kind of upset Jerry Tillery's falling. Jerry Tillery dropped 14 spots. I really like Jerry Tillery. I think he's, I'm, I'm going to put him in there. I think he's in play at 30. I think he's better than Draymond Jones, and I was really big on Draymond Jones early on. But uh, defensive tackle is the one group I started to go through and, and make my list, which I haven't done in a while. But uh, I think Jerry Tillery's at or near the top for me right now. And no, I, I, I'm kind of going backwards, so I, I haven't gotten to the really big name guys yet. But working backwards uh, as of right now, he is my top defensive tackle, so he's definitely worthy of a pick 30. But that's, that's pretty much it right now. Uh, decent amount of wide receivers. Edge rusher, as much as everybody says there's a ton of them, I just don't know right now that there's a lot of, you know, you look at where we're sitting and where these guys are probably going to go. Again, Bosa and Allen are probably gone. Furl maybe is going to be there, but he's, you know, he's sitting at five on my board. Ja'Kai Polite, maybe, but I think he's going to drop a little bit. I could be wrong. It, it, you know, he's sitting at 13. It would be a great spot at 12 to take him. Otherwise, Brian Burns and Montez Sweat at 18 and 19. That's not really in our reach. There's nobody around 30. I mean, the the, the last first-round guy I have is at edge rusher is 19. The next edge rusher I have is at 47. So, I mean, it's it, the, the landscape is changing quite a bit. It used to be that there's a billion edge rushers and defensive tackles. Now all the edge rushers are pushing into the top 10 out of our reach, with the exception of maybe one. Maybe Brian Burns or Montez Sweat fall to us at 30. Some some possibilities there, but uh, anyways, in general, that's that's about that. But I got to get going. Gots to get to work and whatnot. Just sort of a general overview of, of where I see the landscape right now. And, and if you can't tell, I, I'm not real big on setting limits. I'm not real big on saying, well, we're not going to touch this position. I don't think that's the way that works. I know we as fans a lot of times want to identify the number one or two biggest needs and say that's who we have to draft. Every time, and it drives me nuts, every time somebody takes somebody at 12 that's not an edge rusher, you have Packer fans that are going to flip out. No way we're not taking an edge rusher. What do you mean no way? There's no scenario in your mind where we don't take an edge rusher? You mean like if there's nobody available that's worth anything? Meaning if you have eight players that are more talented than an edge rusher and this edge rusher you think is a good value at maybe 23 and that's the best edge rusher left, you would take that edge rusher? What do you mean there's no way? Of course there's a way. Why would you even say that? That doesn't even make any sense. You gotta, you gotta think this stuff through a little bit, man. The Packers will take the best players, and that's all there is to it. And I'm not willing to really put any limits on it. It could be an offensive guard. It could be an offensive tackle. I don't think there's any centers really available. But um, yeah, it could be a tight end. could be wide receiver, defensive tackle, edge rusher, linebacker, corner, and safety, I think, are all available. I think quarterback and center are about the only two that I don't imagine them taking. Quarterback, because I just think that that's way out of line, even though they were planning on looking at a second-round guy. I, I, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I can see in the second round, if you think there's a guy that was valued at, like, the top 15, you think he's an actual legit starting quarterback and you can develop him and trade him, then maybe in the second round, if he's fallen that far, you take him. But are we going to take a quarterback at 12? No, of course not. Just no. And then center because there just aren't any. Everything else, good to go. But uh, we'll keep tabs on it, and then uh, I'll try to think of something more specific. And again, if you have questions, be sure to shoot them at me. But uh, something else, maybe we'll do some positional looks and whatnot. Uh, try to be a little bit more deliberate in our uh, draft talk. But anyways, you folks, enjoy your Thursday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>